views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. everybody. Welcome. Welcome. I want to welcome you. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Thrive By. Thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. Again, if you want to find more about us, go ahead and uh, check us out at thedrpatshow.com or you can always check us out at transformationtalkradio.com. Pretty soon you're going to be able to check us out on Transformation dot fm so yeah a lot of really cool things we've got planned for all of you out there today mr benny how the heck are you i'd be pretty good uh got some news for you all righty bring it to me got some news uh i was uh, got an email this morning about 2014's best and worst cities for an active lifestyle all right <laughs> We better not be on top of the worst. It's and, and it starts out by saying, I think my guest today is going to really appreciate this. Starts out by saying, with treatment of obesity-related health issues costing Americans up to $210 billion a year and lose weight and get fit being the number one most commonly broken New Year's resolution, uh, out comes a survey with 2014's best and worst cities for an active lifestyle. Uh what do you think? Where do you think the bet? Where do you think that the number one best city for an active lifestyle? What do you think that is? Can you guess? I think Would we're you pretty. Have any I, th- idea? I, I think we're pretty close. I mean, we have a really good environment, which you know, kind of. Uh, I guess it, it's accepting of all types of exercises and lifestyles as far as like you know we have the beach we have the water we have the mountains we have trails all that so i think we rank pretty well actually in in the good areas the bad areas i would almost guess it's ooh more flatland <laughs> you know in warmer conditions where right, you get a little here, lazy a i'm just saying, I'm just, saying I'm just saying i'm just saying i'm just saying yeah there it is. yeah yeah there yeah. you go right. there you go numero uno uh city omaha nebraska for the best Boom. Yeah. It was at the top. What? Uh, it ranked number two in the sports facilities and outdoor environment. Oh, okay. Number number two hmm. overall, Portland, Oregon. Well, number I was, <laughs> I was off for number one, number but two. I was right on for number you, two. You were very close. I was very, close. Very, for, very, close. Yeah, right. very close. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this is an interesting list. Those of you, can, you know, we're going to post the list so you can look at it. Um, you know, 100 cities listed, best and worst, and, you know, whatever they came up with here. Uh, didn't even see Seattle, but I didn't what? look at it very closely. Didn't uh, even in the, ranking, not even in the top 10? 
Oh, wait, here. My bad. We're 12. Oh, well, okay. Top 15. Okay, good. 12. We're That's good. not bad. We're That's good. really good, good, actually. Okay. If you go down the list, what you will find at number 100, and here's what I was shocked about. <laughs> uh, almost starting with number 84 through number 100, uh, Texas, 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 uh, New York, Texas, Texas. Really? Yeah. I was shocked. Shocked. Interesting. Who knew? That's probably because these people are not in health clubs, but they are out there in the world experiencing things. Exactly. That's you're being very generous with your verbiage as far as I think the the food culture is a little more lively down there, which means uh, they yeah, like to I'm eat. I'm on my horse. They like That's to eat. What I'm doing. No pun intended, right. I'm on my horse. But you know, this the reason I'm bringing this up is because of today's show, right? It, it is we we get to talk with Dr. Mario Martinez joining me here today to talk about I love this. We're going to talk about the mind-body code, how to change beliefs that limit your health, longevity, and success. This is a phenomenal, renowned neuropsychologist joining me here today. But the, the deal about all of this is what might be some of the beliefs around what we're talking about? And then what are we carrying around with us that gets in the way of what we truly want in life? You know, uh, Dr. Martinez joining me, internationally recognized clinical neuropsychologist, pioneering new form of healing. And he is, he is absolutely exploding into the world to help us understand the complete aspect of what it really means to heal. In the book, The Mind-Body Code, How to Change the Beliefs that Limit Your Health, Longevity, and Success, not only does, and this is me because I've read the book, not only does he take us on a journey to help us understand everything from transcendental decisions to what it really means to get at this idea of synchronicity and to understand the subcultures that we live in. And that is really where we go so that we can understand how to take care of whether they're psycho-spiritual conflicts, how to resolve them, but creating that beauty, that subculture of wellness. Today, we get to talk with him, his unique approach, you know, that is anchored in science. And most importantly, it is really based on the understanding and the connection between biocognitive science, the research that demonstrates how thoughts and their biological expression are integrated, how it shows up in the world today. And, you know, what are some of the cultural cons, uh, I like to call them constructs around this to optimize health and wellness in a world of anti-aging, counter-aging, ageless language. What can we learn to let go of the beliefs that would hold us back from living an extraordinary life? Uh, Dr. Martinez, it is great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And thank you for this body of work that you're doing. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me over. Well, you know, it's interesting I started out that little survey because, you know, there are a lot of things that we start to believe when people start to do surveys about our pop culture, what works, what doesn't. Very few of them are solution-based you know, they come out and they're really based on our pop culture. What are we trying to, you know, 
what what pill potion or lotion lotion are we trying to be be sold these days but you have really looked at and gotten underneath this idea of longevity i got to ask you you know what was it about your own life what really you know touched your heart to have this become a passion for you well, when, I, uh, when, I, when you study one culture, let's say you study or you go to school in a particular country, you think that's really reality, and you think that's how the brain works. And if you're told, uh, well, if you have cancer in the family, you're going to die of cancer, that becomes a reality for you. But as you study anthropology, especially cultural anthropology and especially cultural neuroscience, which looks at how the brain works based on different cultures, you find that that's not true. You find that the culture is really more important than, than the genes in, in expressing illness as well as uh, health. And then that was fascinating to me because when I was a kid, I, I remember that there was a, a man who was, uh, now I know he was a centenarian, but he was uh, over 100, and kids would, would be attracted to him, and he would talk to them and give them stories and tell them all wonderful things. And he was in, in great shape. He was intact, and it, it made you feel like it's okay to grow older. And that just kind of stayed in my mind. And then later as I started uh, in school, and, 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 I, and again, I was given this model of uh, reductionist uh, uh, medicine and psychology that looks at people like machines, then I began to question again that uh, as a neuropsychologist, what you study is when the brain breaks, something, there's damage here, what's not working, and what can uh, we do about that, but that's it. And what I found is that the, the research that looks at the, at the healthy brain, what, mm-hmm. what does the brain do when it's not uh, pathological? It's, it's amazing. It, it's uh, very plastic. It has tremendous ability to adjust, to repair. So uh, I, then my question was, okay, if I'm going to find out uh, what's going on with longevity and if I'm going to mm-hmm. develop a theory, what's the best way to do it? And, and good science says you look at what works and then come up with theories and ways of explaining and replicating. So what works? Centenarians. Not only centenarians, people who are 100 or over, but healthy centenarians were the people that I studied in five different uh, continents, several hundred of them. And what I found was that independent of the culture, although the culture had a, a way of flavoring the way they look at the world, they had a certain way of looking at the world. They have a certain sub, uh, culture and a certain concept of, of their being and, and, and their interaction with people that was very different than other people. Then I thought, well, this has to be genetics. Uh, they even have some gene, uh, some uh, genetics now that they call the, the Methuselah gene, which is nonsense. There's no such thing as a one gene for, for all. But what I found was that only 20 to 25% could be attributed, their longevity could be attributed to uh, genetics. Yeah. The rest, cultural. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, this is really fascinating, right? Because, you know, we start to look at, uh, you know, we, we start to, to really ask questions that honestly go beyond what, and I refer to what comes out in mainstream media as our pop culture. But, you know, without people or someone trying to sell you something, right, you know, you, you start to take an approach as you've done to say, look, what can we learn? What can we discover? What can we discover from those people that obviously has, have found, and we call them secrets, right? have found ways to really stretch a lifetime to go beyond the beyond, but to do it in a high quality. I want to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Mario Martinez about what is this mind-body code? What did you learn? What does the study show us? And is it an anomaly? Is it possible for us 
to really think about the hundred years of life. And I'm not just talking about getting there, but high quality skydiving, ready to dance life. Let's take a short break, everyone. This is a fabulous book. You're going to want to get a copy of it. I'm going to want to talk about it. Get ready to change the beliefs that limit our health, longevity, and success. We'll be right back with the show. Grateful patients have been saying it for 25 years. When in pain, see Dr. Thane. Dr. Thane of Wellness One of Bellevue has been named one of the nation's top chiropractors by the Consumers Research Council of America, and for good reason. He has helped his patients recover their energy and vitality after car accidents, sports injuries, herniated discs, fatigue due to stress, the list goes on. The website is bellevue.wellness1.net. When in pain, see Dr. Thane. That's bellevue.wellness1.net. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Pat. I know you've heard my friend and colleague, John G. Sutton, on my show. Well, guess what? He is now going to be a regular each month. I know many of you have experienced John live on air and how absolutely incredibly accurate he has been. So guess what? He's going to be joining us every month. For those of you that want to find out more about John and schedule your amazing session, go to psychicworld.net. Don't forget to stay tuned and tune in for John G. Sutton on the Dr. Pat Show every month. Would you like to be a question with anything that comes up in your body or mind? Would you like to become totally aware and begin to function as the conscious being you truly are? Join Access Certified Facilitator Glenna Rice every month for a live teleclass where you can ask all of your questions and learn to create change in any aspect of your life. Visit GlennaRice.com today to learn more and don't miss the next call. Join the questionable conversation today at GlennaRice.com. Tired of traditional talk? People pontificating about this or that, the left or the right. Sometimes the truth is just all lost in the noise. Tune in each week to Straight Talk with Chuck Gallagher on TransformationTalkRadio.com, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, as nationally known guests talk about what's important to you, your life, your concerns, and your success. Tune in and turn on to Straight Talk with Chuck Gallagher. Visit ChuckGallagher.com for more information. Called the Oprah of Radio by her listeners. Award-winning host Dr. Pat Basile is blowing the doors off of traditional talk radio. Get ready for an energizing delivery and powerful interviews with leaders in the field of human potential. Dr. Pat's fresh new perspective on living life full out has catapulted her show to the top of talk radio. Tune in and Dr. Pat will help you thrive instead of merely survive. Visit thedrpatshow.com. That's T-H-E-D-R-Patshow.com for listening times in your area. Welcome to Smile Big, nominee of Seattle's Top Dentist Awards. Here at Smile Big, we offer restorative, cosmetic, and preventative dentistry. Some of our regular dental services include tooth-colored fillings, crowns, bridges, implants, bleaching, cosmetic bonding, and complete smile restoration. Dr. James Rosenwald and Dr. Susan Aptoner won't be smiling until you are smiling. Call now to schedule a visit with Seattle's Top Dentists. Our number is 425-454-4040. You can even visit our website at smilebig.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I want to welcome you. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. Uh, 
I just want to say that um, I'm so blessed. I get some of the most incredible books that I get to read and conversations that I get to have. And, you know, it's really amazing, you know, for us to be able to have these conversations and share them with all of you. Um, As always, you are welcome to call into the show. If you have questions for, you know, my guest today, 1-800-930-2819. Uh, 1-800-930-2819. You know, and I love this. Dr. Martinez joining me here today is the author of uh, The Mind-Body Code. And, you know, this is really talking about, you know, the secrets of longevity as, as you have discovered them. You know, you learn this from, you know, people over 100 years old. Uh, and it had... I've got, let, let me ask you this question. You know, sometimes we as researchers, we go into these studies and we have some kind of point of view about things. I, I'm so curious about what you discovered that you were co- completely like blown away and had to change your own beliefs about. Uh, mainly that uh, I was expecting longevity to be the, the major uh, factor. And, yeah. and longevity is just uh, one fourth uh, or one fifth. Uh, 20 to 25 percent uh, can be attributed to uh, genetics, uh, and and the correlation that I found was for a typical example would be a 102 year old man. I would ask him, "When did your father pass away?" He was 70, and your mother uh, 65, another 89, and when the correlation was about uh, about 20 to 25 percent. Wow. Uh, you, you know, out, out of what you've discovered, I mean, I'm sure there are, and we're going to talk about them because you outlined them so beautifully in the book. Um, you refer to wounds and archetypal wounds and in healing. Let's talk about that for a minute because, you know, you don't wait till the end of the book to get right to that conversation, right? You kind of no. you kind of get to it early on. And I love that you did because there's something you've discovered here that's so very, very important. I'd love for you to talk about that. Okay. Uh, well, again, the, the key is to, uh, to take an anthropological view in, in addition to the, uh, to, the, to the neuroscience. And that is looking what, what is unique uh, about cultures, but also what is universal. And what I found, at least with the many, many cultures that I studied, is that there are really three basic wounds, and I call them uh, emotional wounds, and I call them archetypal because I see them all over. And, I, and, and what the culture can do it, 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 to wound you, it can either abandon you, it can shame you, or it can betray you. And those are the three. That's basically uh, it. Those are the ways. They're, they have different ways of doing it. For example, in, in, in Brazil... You could be, uh, if, you're, if you're a boy, you could be shamed because you didn't make the soccer team. Uh, if you were in, uh, a Maasai warrior in, uh, in uh, West Africa, you could be shamed because you didn't take care of the sheep and the lion team and then kill one of the sheep. Uh, it, it, but the same, what will happen, though, independent of the culture, once you have been shamed, your immune system will respond the same way. You will have pro-inflammatory molecules. You actually will have inflammation as, because the, the immune system is more symbolic than just a, a fighting pathogen. A word, a word stupid, for example, it's a word, it's a, it's a symbol. Yet when you say you're stupid and you accept it, especially from, a, from an authority, you will have inflammation in your body. Not just cortisol, not just stress, but you'll have inflammation. And that's very interesting because look at how we deal with people, look at how we teach people, look at how we deal with people in, 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 in the corporate world. Uh, $7 trillion a year goes to healthcare of chronic illness that many are reversible, 
and preventable by understanding these things. You know, um, one of the things that, you know, I think is really fascinating is that, you know, you go through and you talk about some of the lessons and, you know, really this idea of cultural portals. And, you know, I don't think a lot of folks really know what a cultural portal means and what the influences of those are. And, you know, I think it's really kind of important to have a conversation about that, because if if we don't understand that aspect of it or where our beliefs have sort of been passed on from or what we have in terms of some of those beliefs, I'm not sure we can change them. I mean, you and I were kind of talking about that before. So where do we start with this idea uh, of of looking at beliefs that can, you know, lead us to places that would give us high quality uh, life as we are becoming more seasoned? Well, we, we all know that, for example, uh, if you smoke and you say to, uh, and, and you, you know that it's hurting, you, you may have emphysema, or if you see somebody smoking, you tell them you shouldn't be smoking. That doesn't work. Uh, it, so it's not just an intellectual process. And what I found is that in order to change something, you have to find out what it is that you're trying to change, not, not the effect, but the cause. And what I found was that what I call portals, I had to create the, the language for culture portals, which is the culture will, will put you through these portals that have very little to do with biology and more to do with the culture. For example, a, a portal is infancy, childhood, um, teenagers, young adult, middle age, and at a third uh, age or, or elderly. Those are portals that are set by the culture, not by your biology. But since the culture shapes your, your biology to a certain degree, um, I would, then what happens is that if you're 44 and in your culture 45 is middle age, the day you turn 45, your consciousness shifts, not only yours, and you begin to see yourself as a, quote, middle-aged person, but the rest of the world, what I call the cultural editors in your world, will begin to see you that way and they'll admonish you and bring you into that place until you begin to age and you begin to function, dress, have the illnesses, and have the attributions to the middle age, even though middle age is 45 in one culture and maybe 50 in another and 30 in another. And, and centenarians, by the way, have no such concept as middle age. I asked uh, one of them, uh, what's middle age? And he said, that's a dumb question. You find out when you die. <laughs> so, you know, you don't, you don't play that game. So that's one of the reasons, one of the secrets is that they don't, they don't peg themselves into cultural portals. They allow their biology to move across space rather than time. You know, um, there is uh, there are many, many things that you and I can talk about, and, and we will talk about this today. You know, uh, and I will certainly let people know how they can find out more about uh, you, your work, and get their own copy of the book. Um, there is a conversation I would love to talk with you about when we come back where you call the four commitments for a centenarian mindfulness. and. Oh, yeah, and I and I I was so fascinated by you know reading uh, so much about what you've written here, but I'll tell you I had to read it over and over again. And so the question that I want to ask you when we come back is, you know, how does mindfulness? How do, what did you find about mindfulness that perhaps was different here for these folks than what we practice? in our mainstream cultures across the world. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What a great show. Uh, Before we hop to break, what's the best way for people to find out more about you, for them to get a copy of your book? Uh, The book they can get on Amazon, Sounds True, or or any bookstore. 
And uh, to, to find out more about my work, uh, I, I think Facebook is good. Uh, I have uh, facebook.com slash the mind body code or my website, uh, biocognitive.com. Or you can go to, you can Google biocognitive science and you'll find quite a bit of my work there. So it's real easy to find and there's quite a bit that, that's available for people that, who are interested in finding out more about this science. Awesome. And then for those of you out there, if you want to find us on Facebook, we're Facebook, the Dr. Pat Show.com, Twitter, the Dr. Pat Show.com. When we come back, mindfulness is what we're going to be about. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show, my very special guest joining me here today, Dr. Mario Martinez. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Get sophisticated with David and Philip Zarza. David and Philip touch on topics such as human potential, spirituality, pop culture, and purposeful living. Experience an insightful reading from David on what the universe has in store for you. Or reconnect with a departed loved one. Philip can look into an issue or anything else you may be dealing with. Go to GetSophisticated.com. That's S-O-P-H-I-S-T-I-G-A-Y-T-E-D.com. Or call 206-420-8660. If you are one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you're ready to take your power back, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-MIND. Tune in each Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 Eastern Time on Transformation Talk Radio to Limelight Radio with Katina Macris. This is an inspirational, cutting-edge radio show educating worldwide listeners on a diversity of Lyme disease-related topics. Each week, Katina will interview some of the world's leaders in health, wellness, spirituality, and human potential. For more information, visit LimeLightRadio.com. Step into more inner and outer leadership in all facets of your life. This means being the CEO of your own destiny. Imagine a life of what you say goes. Lynn Brown, the host of Winning at the Game of Life, is going to help you activate the power in being present, owning your space, and harnessing all of your energy during her full-day workshop, Own Your Leadership, Own Your Life. Get ready to own your body, your relationships, your work, and your life. Lynn and co-facilitator Wendy Wolf have teamed up for a body and spirit experience that will transform you forever. Every person will receive two 20-minute sessions of body or aura work, amazing content, and a full one-hour healing session with Lynn or Wendy. Lunch is included. Space is limited. Sign up early and get an additional 20-minute session included. To register or for more information, contact Lynn at ruintuit.com or call 844-BE-INTUIT. Workshop is January 31st, 9.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. in downtown Bellevue.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back. What a great show. What a great book. You know, it is so wonderful that I get to have these conversations, you know, with people that have said yes to a purpose greater than themselves. And that's really what it does take. You know, when 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 you guys listen to the show and, you know, you hear these conversations that I that I have with people like, you know, my very special guest today, Dr. Mario Martinez. One of the things that I've discovered along my way to these conversations is how much sweat and inspiration has gone into a body of work that we try to consolidate and condense into an hour. Um, I don't even know how some of these authors go on these shows and do like these seven-minute interviews and expect people to step away with some very, very valuable information. But what I love about what Dr. Martinez has done is he's created a a platform, at least this is my interpretation, he's created a platform by presenting us with knowledge information, by, by, by literally telling stories about what he's discovered. And, you know, out of this, uh, Dr. Martinez, you know, there are a lot of things that I could have talked about, but I was so struck by, you know, the conversation and conversations you had with some of these people like the, you know, the 101 year old man uh, that you had a conversation with about, you know, the smoking conversation. I was so aware of of what these conversations were and and how you put this under the idea or the construct of mindfulness. So I wanted to really get your take on this because it really is a bit different, I believe, than conversations we've had before about mindfulness. Yes, uh, mindfulness, this is quite a bit of a misunderstanding and confusion yeah. about mindfulness. Uh, many way, many times it's sold as something very, uh, very esoteric and mysterious. Mindfulness, uh, you could, and by the way, when you meditate, that's not mindfulness. That's a, a way to reach mindfulness. Uh, so uh, it's very easy. Mindfulness would be that you're aware of any novelty around you. If you look around you and you, and you notice something new, you look at a lamp and you see a shade, whatever, that's mindfulness. Or if you see something that you did and there's a mistake. The moment you realize a mistake, that's mindfulness. And that's the work that, uh, that Ellen Langer does, that my colleague and friend at, at Harvard, who's been studying mindfulness from the Western way, uh, and there are other people that are studying it in the Eastern way, but mindfulness is really being aware of the moment, being aware of where you are the moment, not just in your head. And mindlessness, which very few people talk about, mindlessness is the opposite, and it would be habitual behavior. Like, for example, you uh, press the button on an elevator, waiting for an elevator, and you see the light go on and you keep pressing it. That's mindlessness. <laughs> because <laughs> it, you know that it's checked and you continue to do it. Or if you're beeping at someone when there's a, a traffic jam of, of 10 cars, that's mindlessness. So mindfulness is what I found in, in these centenarians, of these people that are, that are in touch with where they are, they're constantly finding novelty. Novelty is one of the components of staying healthy and one of the components of staying uh, in, in, in healthy longevity. Uh, they walk into a room and say, I, I noticed that uh, this wasn't here before. That's novelty. Right there, that's mindfulness. So it, it's really an easy way to do it. You don't have to uh, go to a, a cave and, and meditate for <laughs> years. In the moment that you become aware of the novelty around you, you're mindful. In, you know, I want to talk about, you know, some of the dialogues you've had with different people about their you know, their expression of who they are and how they got there. 
Um, and, and, you know, in the con and, and there are many things in here uh, that you actually share the dialogue, right? You yeah, know, so I remember one different. dialogue you have where, you know, you're, you're, you're asking, I think it's a 101 or a 100-year-old woman, you know, I understand you have a new love in your life. And, you know, the woman goes on to say, yes, I like younger men. And, you know, so I, so I got me an 80-year-old beau who writes me <laughs> poems. <laughs> I, and, I, I, and the reason I'm bringing that up, I mean, of course, you're, I, it put a smile on my face because, you know, our culture would say, nope, no way should a 100-year-old woman be even thinking about romance, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, I would, you discovered so many of these things. I mean, this had to really put a smile on your face. Yes. And not only did she say, I found a a younger, uh, a younger man, but he writes me poetry. Yes. (laughs) And the the younger man is 80. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, so one of the things you say is you say growing older is a passage of time. Aging, Aging is what we do with time based on our cultural beliefs. Yes. And and then you go on to share that, you know, that was the first commitment. Uh, the second commitment was the present moment is never too late to make commitments. Um, I wanted to ask you about these commitments that you you talk about in here and how you discovered them in the dialogues that you've had, especially the one with the tango lessons. I, I'm actually <laughs> after reading this, I have signed up for dance lessons. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> From my field notes, that was the anthropological part of it. My field notes, I was trying to uh, put together the factors in each of the uh, the things that they were doing. And I came up with four things, four what I call centenarian commitments, which means that you can be you can learn centenarian mindfulness at any age. You can learn mm-hmm. healthy longevity at any age. And and as you know, in the book, uh, each of the commitments, I have a little dialogue, that actual dialogue that I had in the, with some uh, field notes for these people. Yeah. But the first one is really um, growing old is a passing of time. Aging is what we do with uh, time based on our cultural beliefs. And the way that I got that is that I, I was talking to these people, and they would say things like, um, look at that old guy, the way he's walking. And the, the old guy could be 30 years younger. So for their concept of aging is not a biological concept, but it's it's really the, the passing of time based on how you believe that time is going to be affecting you. And that's yeah. extremely important. And in psychology, as we know, attribution theory is very important. What you attribute things to will have a, a consequence. So if, for example, uh, to to enlighten on that, on that particular commitment, let's say that you're 30 yep. and you go to the kitchen and you forget something. You go, oh, I forgot something. That's it. But let's say you're 70. Well, that you're right. in the portal already that's saying, ooh, dementia. So you go, oh, my God, I just forgot something. And these people, when they forget something, I just forgot something. I'll, it'll come whenever it's ready. That's, the, the attribution is non-age-related. It's, it's, it's an attribution based on the moment, on the, on the context, not on the portal that you're designed or, or, or assigned to. And that was the first, uh, the first commitment. The second one, is the present moment is never too late to make commitments. I got that from, I would ask one, um, how's, your, um, how's your garden? And it's, oh, it's great, but wait till you see it in four years. Or they would say, uh, I just started some German lessons at 102. So basically for them, the present is never too late to make commitments. Uh- you know, the thing that I love about this is, you know, we have some really strange things right now in our culture 
uh, that we say. And you're so right on. I mean, I, I, I get like crazy. I have a birthday tomorrow, okay? Tomorrow's my birthday. And I would never celebrate my birthday because I don't think about my birthday. I'm not one of these people that thinks about time. I don't think about age. I, you know, it's just not one of these things. But I, but I have to tell you, I must admit uh, uh, that, that here recently, I've just been more aware of things. And so I noticed that people have started to say things, oh, I'm having a senior moment. And I just feel, I cringe. I just cringe. Um, uh, you know, is this the kind of thing you're talking about? Even when people say it in jest, right? Uh, Yes, it's it, kind it, of crazy, yeah? It will affect you because it's a reality. And, and you allow that to be a senior moment. So a senior moment would be foolish for somebody at 20, but not so foolish for somebody at 75. Right. So uh, an example, one of the things that I, that I suggest about birthdays, don't celebrate how long you've been around. That's nothing. That's just time. Celebrate what you've done and then celebrate the people that you have known in that time. That's it. That's how you celebrate a birthday. Well, that's it. And, you know, I had a great this morning. I, my friends met me. Uh, we've been having coffee at this coffee place in Green Lake for like uh, 20-something years. And we met, and it was so fun. You know, it was so fun to do that, you know, in celebration of that. Um, I want to talk to you about one of the other commitments that I was really struck by because it is so absolutely significant encounter to the media that we get bombarded with. And it's the third commitment. And you say yes. here, illnesses are learned, the causes of health are inherited. And boy, I'm telling you, I could not wait to ask you to please talk to me about that one. Well, uh, um, pseudoscientists get really upset with that. They get very, very <laughs> upset with that. Uh, I bet. And they, that, because that, that just throws medicine and psychology upside down. Not the scientists, but the technicians, the people that only believe what the uh, what their instruments can measure. What I mean by that is that there's no question that they're genetic mistakes. Three to 4% of illnesses are genetic mistakes. You're born with that genetic uh, expression, and, and that's it. But 95 to 97% are learned, but I have to be very clear, this doesn't mean that you're doing it and that you're, you're doing it on purpose or that you need to blame yourself if you get sick. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that. What it means is that we teach our bodies to get sick by what we say, what we do, what we eat. Food is, is information. The environment is information. Um, so uh, the, the way that you look at the world is information. So we're teaching our bodies constantly in our minds to either make, express illness or express health. And we've learned it in that sense and that, that we have an opportunity to make changes in our lives. But it doesn't mean that if you have cancer, you cause the cancer. You never, never cause an illness. What we're doing is we're helping either the expression of pathology or the expression of health to come out. The DNA can't be changed. You can only change the expression of the DNA. And I'll give you an example. Yeah. There, now, there's a lot of work now done, and uh, they're moving away so much from just the cortisol stress, and that, that, that's a very simplistic model of, uh, of stress. There's a lot more than that. They're looking into the complex of uh, inflammation, and there's something called CTRA, that is actually an index of upper or downward regulation of gene expression. What that means is that there's certain things that express genes in a way and certain things that don't express it in that way. So look how powerful it is, that how, how our immune system is very symbolic. When you measure 
the what's called hedonic uh, pleasure, which is pleasure of just the senses. It feels really good. You have one psychoneuroimmunological reaction. When you express another type of um, a, a pleasure, which is the, the, they call the you, you, uh, eudaimonic, uh, that's the kind of pleasure that has meaning. You're doing something with meaning, with service. When you express one, the one with meaning, you have less inflammation than when you express the other. And, and in fact, the other by itself, the hedonic by itself, is not that good for you. And I'll give you an example. Yeah. People who retire from a meaningful job, right. they have a lot of meaning, a lot of joy. They go to Florida to watch the sunset, which becomes the meaningless joy. They live on an average four to five years after they retire. Wow. Because the immune system is responding. And we're meant to be meaningful. We're meant to be service-oriented, mm. not right. caretakers. That's another thing that I learned by centenarian. They know how to set limits. The, the tango one, I asked them, um, uh, could I see you Saturday? They said, sure, yeah, we can meet. And I said, how about uh, 9 o'clock? And said, no, tango lessons. It's going to have to be later. They set limits, and that's very, very important for your health, emotional limits. Uh, so that's – now, why do I say that the causes of health are, are inherited? Because as, as modern homo sapiens, we've been around for 80,000 to 100,000 years. We have 100,000 years of lessons that we have learned in the, with the immune system, the nervous and the endocrine system. We pass it on epigenetically. We pass it on every generation. So we have tremendous complexity in maintaining our health. Our immune system are constantly working to maintain our health. But it's wow. not a battle. It's a confirmation of the life that you live, a confirmation of, of what if you – let's say you live a life of fear. And the world and your, your mindset, as you said, your construct is a construct of fear. Things aren't going to go well. Uh, people don't like me. You're going to be secreting cortisol, and you're going to have pro-inflammatory kinds of products going on there. So you're teaching your body to get sick. So it's not, yeah. a, it's not a mystery. It's a Boy, this is really fascinating, though, because, you know, this is really, you know, I love, first of all, I love the approach that you've taken with this, because there's so much we can learn through conversations and dialogue. And, you know, I, I love that you went and did that. You know, part of this, too, is also being then to interpret it in the way that you did so beautifully uh, in in what does it mean today? And, and that really kind of really leads me to connecting what you just said to the fourth commitment. You know, I, when I read this, I didn't like jump ahead and say, what are the commitments? I really read this. And so I guess by the time I got to the fourth commitment, I was and I wasn't a little bit surprised. But let's talk about that. You know, you say forgiveness is a liberating act of self-love. And boy, I have heard over 11 years more people define forgiveness in so many ways. But this one really struck a chord. Uh, I wanted to talk with you about that and how, you know, this 101-year-old man talked about it with you. Yes, and, and the, the important thing about forgiveness, you notice how difficult it is, and, and uh, you try to forgive intellectually and reasonably, yeah. and you say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person, nobody's perfect. That doesn't work, because what you're holding on to is a mind-body cultural cluster that can't be released uh, with just intellectually reasoning this out. That's the first part. And the second part is that you, it has nothing to do with the predator. It has nothing yeah. to do with the person that hurt you. It is the interpretation that you made within your bioinformational field of that person. So you are the you are the author and the uh, and the co-author of, of the of the scene, and you are the director of the play. Now it's done under 
some uh, contemplative, uh, as you know from the book, uh, uh, methods of relaxing and going through a process that, that is very easy to do. It's not hypnosis or anything like that, very easy. But you access the information, and before you can forgive, you have to find out what is the wound that was perpetrated. Was it abandonment? Was it uh, betrayal? Or was it shame? And each of them has a, an antidote. Each of them has what I call a healing field. And that's what allows you to then heal. How can you heal a wound if you don't know what the wound is? What right. kind of antibiotic can you use if you don't know what bacteria you're dealing with? And that's the, the concept. I don't want to make it very mechanical, but that, that's the concept. And then second, what you do is a, as you release the interpretation that you've made uh, at the mind-body level, then what happens is that you don't, you don't have to reconcile. Reconciling is the second part. Do you want to reconcile with a rapist? No. They continue to be a rapist. But you, you might want to reconcile with your mother? Maybe. And if you do, then you have to set emotional limits so the same thing doesn't happen again because a glass is a glass. And you can love a glass of death, and it'll never become a lamp. So you have to understand the limits that people have. You know, I, I wanted to just really talk about this because, and it's so this is so important, uh, you, you know, Dr. Martinez, that I'm actually going to skip this break because, you know, this really does lead into a conversation about psycho-spiritual, you know, conflicts and resolution. You know, what you're referring to is 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 really beautifully said because we get stuck on the idea of forgiving because you're right. We don't stop to say, well, wait a minute. Is this a betrayal? Um, is this some, is this abandonment? You know, the wound is so great that we don't really get to look at it, you know, through the lens that you just described. But that then does lead me to a conversation about what you've discovered uh, in terms of spirituality. Uh, and I think you refer to them as psycho-spiritual, you know, psycho-spiritual conflicts. But, you know, where is the bridge between what these folks talked about and what we are discovering about spirituality in the world? Yes, and, and, and I think that uh, the, the important uh, thing to clear here is that it's not a religious concept. It's not that no. whether you're Christian or, or Muslim, nope. but it's transcendental. We, we're the only animal. We're the only animal that understands and knows that we, we have mortality. We know that we're not going to be around forever right. at, in the physical uh, sense. And the cosmology that you create, the model that you create of the world, will affect you. So I have, I'll give you an example. I had one patient who was psychotic, and he was on antipsychotics. He was hospitalized every three or four months, and there's nothing that could be done for that person in, in, independent of the medication. So as we started working, that's when I started doing the biocognitive uh, model, and I started looking into what was going on in his life. What was his psycho-spiritual? What was his, uh, his religious theological beliefs? And he came from a very fundamentalist religion that taught him that if he divorced, he would go to hell no matter what. This was his second marriage. So what had happened was that no matter what kind of resolution he would work out of the three levels of change that, that I talk about in the book, when you get to a fourth it doesn't matter. You're going to hell, so how can you live a life knowing you're going to hell? So he attempted suicide. So what we did was to bring in a theologian from his religion who had a more empathic and clear way of looking at things and allowing that person to consider from an authority the possibility that if you're in a bad marriage, uh, no one tells you or, or no God tells you to, that you have to stay in it in that religion, 
that you can go out and, and, and you're, you're, you have an ability to and, and, and a, a, a requirement for yourself to be happy. Mm-hmm. Doing that, he was given permission by an authority in the transcendental, in the theological, cosmological, to say, okay, it, it's okay, I can, be, I can be divorced and I can be married, but what the theologian told him is, you have an opportunity here to do it right this time. That shifted things in a way where all of a sudden he's not psychotic anymore. And it doesn't work that way in many cases because psychosis is a very serious illness. But in this case, the psychosis went away because it wasn't psychosis. It was really mimicking psychosis with a psychospiritual conflict. I wanted to, you know, I, I know, boy, I'll tell you what, we were just like, you and I could talk for another three hours here. But I did <laughs> want to get to a conversation with you about fear. Um, and the reason I want to get to a conversation about fear is because I didn't see much of a conversation in the book about fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, no, I, uh... <laughs> I don't think I missed it. Um, no. Almost every book has a big, big chapter on fear. And I did not see that. And I wanted to ask you, how come? Because it, because it's in the uh, the addiction part of the book, and mm-hmm. what I call the fear triad. Yep. And 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 I uh, and again controversial, but uh, that's <laughs> what I'm all about. Yep. Um, I don't consider addictions to be an illness. I, I think they're sociocultural disorders that need to be treated, but not as an illness. And and what happens is that people distract themselves with uh, cocaine or cigarettes or whatever, and then they get addicted and they have a physiological addiction, and then they have withdrawals and so forth. But basically what's happening is that I think that if you have this distraction and you go to a treatment center, and what do they do? How many lines have you done? How much have you smoked? How m- that's ridiculous. That, that's a waste of time. That's a distraction. We have to deal with what are we distracting ourselves from and how mm-hmm. do we deal with that. And in the fear triad, what I come up with, uh, and I've worked with many, many hundreds of uh, possibly thousands of, of uh, people with addictions and compulsions and, and obsessions, is that the fear triad is a, is a reaction, is, is a compensation for our knowledge of our, of our mortality. I did some research when I was a student at Vanderbilt in and, and, and anxiety, uh, in, uh, in phobias, and found that every single one of them, if you go deep enough, it has to do with the fear of death. So what happens? We know we're going to die. We know we're mortal. And that's the, the, the biggest disempowerment that you can have in your life. What do you do with it? One way is to distract yourself. The fear triad has distraction, has a distraction anytime, even, even if it's a fear of uh, uh, speaking in public, it has some deeper meaning. So what do you do? You, you have a cigarette or you do cocaine or at first it's for pleasure, but then after a while it has a function. That's the first one. Second one is to defy. It's a defiance. Okay, let me see how much cigarettes, how many cigarettes can my, and how much nicotine can my, can my lungs take. It's a defiance of the mortality. And the third one, I think, and these are not conscious processes. These are habitual processes. The third one is, if I'm going to go, then I'm going to decide to smoke so I can go with emphysema. It's a, it's, it's a dysfunctional way of regaining power. And, and the fear triad is extremely important because it's not only about the, the fear of death, but it's the fear of being disempowered. And we use those three things at different levels. This is the deepest, which is the one, the fear of, of death. But we use it all the time. And fear has two functions. One is uh, functional. If you see a lion in front of you, it's functional fear. But if you think there's going to be a lion everywhere you go, that's dysfunctional fear. All right. And, you know, I know that this is really part of a much bigger conversation. For those of you out there, I just want to just make sure that you know that uh, 
the mind-body code, how to change the beliefs that limit your health, longevity, and success. And, you know, my very special guest today, Dr. Mario Martinez. There's so much in this book. Uh, I, I want to ask you, I know we've got about two or three minutes left. Uh, what have we not talked about that you consider to be a major breakthrough in this work? And I know you're not done with it. I know there's more to come. But, you know, what have I left out? Uh, relationships, guardians of the heart, I call it, uh, the model of guardians of the heart. We, we go into relationships to to heal. Not that we're all wounded, not that we're victims, but we have some wounds and we're afraid to love again, especially if things have happened to us, and most people have had some things happen to them. And in those wounds, again, the, the, the abandonment, uh, the betrayal, and, and the shame, we come in with these wounds and we, we tie them around love because we were usually wounded by people that love us, so we have an entangled love. Uh, with um, with with the shame, for example. So what do you do? You speak the language fluently. You look for people that shame you or people that you can shame. I have patients that have told me I've been married three times and each time I've been abandoned. Well, that's the language that you learn. And in, in the guardians of the heart, we untangle all of those wounds from love. So it'll be pristine love. It'll be the type of love that can grow and that can enhance each other rather than manipulate each other with subconsciously with, with the wounds that we know that we can manipulate people with. Well, I mean, this is really it. I mean, we hear about uh, heartbreaks uh, left and right. I mean, you, you know, I mean, the, tra- the travesty of some things. I mean, in our culture yesterday, you know, um, there was a murder-suicide, uh, and, and the reason was love, uh, loving someone too much. And so it is definitely an area that seems to be at a serious stress point based on the culture we live in, the way that we live in it. And people are really baffled on how to, you know, navigate their way uh, through. But I love what you've done. I want to ask you one last question. What is your personal message? And thank you so much for joining us here today, Dr. Martinez. My pleasure. You, you, you started with obesity, and I, I want to end with that. The way yeah. that I deal with obesity is I teach people to love food. And the first mm. thing they say is, I love food too much. And I tell them, no, you need food. You don't abuse what you love. You abuse what you need. And it's a distraction. So, so you learn to love food, but you learn to love yourself. When you love yourself, then you don't have to distract yourself with needs. And, and, and I'm oversimplifying it, but that's a very powerful way to address the issue. And it should be done with professional help. But really, we, we abuse what we need, not what we love. Wow. Wow. What a great show. Thank you so much. Give out your website one more time, if you would. Yes, it's uh, biocognitive.com, and it's biocognitive science. You can Google it. Uh, and uh, the book is The Mind-Body Code, as you mentioned, and, and, uh, and I've, I've shared this news with you. I was told uh, uh, by experts to, to dumb it down and to make it simple, that people don't have time. Well, I didn't dumb it down. And I I made it clear rather than simple. And it's number one now in psychology and medicine at Amazon. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much, everyone. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with the show. Grateful patients have been saying it for 25 years. When in pain, see Dr. Thane. Dr. Thane of Wellness One of Bellevue has been named one of the nation's top chiropractors by the Consumers Research Council of America. 
and for good reason. He has helped his patients recover their energy and vitality after car accidents, sports injuries, herniated discs, fatigue due to stress, the list goes on. The website is bellevue.wellness1.net. When in pain, see Dr. Thane. That's bellevue.wellness1.net. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Pat. I know you've heard my friend and colleague, John G. Sutton, on my show. Well, guess what? He is now going to be a regular each month. I know many of you have experienced John live on air and how absolutely incredibly accurate he has been. So guess what? He's going to be joining us every month. For those of you that want to find out more about John and schedule your amazing session, go to psychicworld.net. Don't forget to stay tuned and tune in for John G. Sutton on the Dr. Pat Show every month. Would you like to be a question with anything that comes up in your body or mind? Would you like to become totally aware and begin to function as the conscious being you truly are? Join Access Certified Facilitator Glenna Rice every month for a live teleclass where you can ask all of your questions and learn to create change in any aspect of your life. Visit GlennaRice.com today to learn more and don't miss the next call. Join the questionable conversation today at GlennaRice.com. Tired of traditional talk? People pontificating about this or that, the left or the right. Sometimes the truth is just all lost in the noise. Tune in each week to Straight Talk with Chuck Gallagher on TransformationTalkRadio.com, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, as nationally known guests talk about what's important to you, your life, your concerns, and your success. Tune in and turn on to Straight Talk with Chuck Gallagher. Visit ChuckGallagher.com for more information. Called the Oprah of Radio by her listeners. Award-winning host Dr. Pat Basili is blowing the doors off of traditional talk radio. Get ready for an energizing delivery and powerful interviews with leaders in the field of human potential. Dr. Pat's fresh new perspective on living life full out has catapulted her show to the top of talk radio. Tune in and Dr. Pat will help you thrive instead of merely survive. Visit the drpatshow.com. That's T-H-E-D-R Patshow.com for listening times in your area. Welcome to Smile Big, nominee of Seattle's Top Dentist Awards. Here at Smile Big, we offer restorative, cosmetic, and preventative dentistry. Some of our regular dental services include tooth-colored fillings, crowns, bridges, implants, bleaching, cosmetic bonding, and complete smile restoration. Dr. James Rosenwald and Dr. Susan Abdener won't be smiling until you are smiling. Call now to schedule a visit with Seattle's Top Dentists. Our number is 425-454-4040. You can even visit our website at smilebig.com. Hi, this is David Zarza. And Philip Zarza. And we're the Sophisticated Guys. And we're here with your tip of the week. Feeling trapped in life, like you're just going through the motions, but not loving where you're at? This week's Sophisticated Tip is to reconnect you with your heart's desire. It's not just a cheesy saying. It's actually a vital part of a wholehearted life to know your heart's desire. Start by asking yourself, what do I most want today? Or what do I need most today? Then allow the answer to come to you. Don't try to have your mind answer it. When you get the answer, though, follow through with it completely. In a couple of weeks, you'll be totally clear about what your heart wants. Learn more or schedule a session by visiting GetSophisticated.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-P-H-I-S-T-I-G-A-Y-T-E-D.com. And call 206-420-8660. 